Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for just the, the opportunity that you've given us, God. I, I, I know, Lord, I've been encouraged already. And I just pray you would continue, God, to, to just accomplish your purposes in each of our hearts today. We ask that you be glorified and that, Lord, we would walk away from this place, God, built up, men of God. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Um, you guys get enough food? Uh, good. You get spiritual food. You get fajitas. You're hooked up. Um, you know what? I, this next study, I, I asked Pastor Robert Hall to come and share with us. And, and guys, I, I know we've been called the children of God. That, that God sees us as valuable. And, and I, I know as, as, as a pastor, I, you know, my, my heart is, is that to see my kids grow up to serve Him. It, it almost feels like, God, if I'm, if I'm investing all of this, my life into Your service and, and building up Your church, I, I, it, I would feel like, a, like I, I missed something if my kids didn't grow up to know You and to serve You and to love You. And, uh, you know, I, I think the, God, the heart of God is, is that we're, we're his children. And then we look down and we look at our children and, and we're, what, what we're passing on to them, I think, is, uh, is, is valuable. And so I asked Pastor Robert, he's going to come with, with his boy and, and, and they're going to kind of just share just the heart of a, of a dad and a son. And, and, and would you join me in welcoming Pastor Robert Hall from Rio Rancho, his boy. <laughs> Well, thanks. Um, Ray's a great friend of mine and <clears throat> been a big help to me over the years. I, I just love coming down here and serving and teaching. What an example of servanthood. Uh, I think we ought to give Marguerite and the staff, those people that were cooking, whoo! You, you don't realize how good it is till you go to another conference, <laughs> another place. You know, there was a, a young man who grew up in a church, um, accepted Jesus at a young age as Lord and Savior. He was involved in the church and the youth group. Um, he was uh, from a single-parent home, just his mom. Um, I've seen pictures, uh, amazing-looking young man, athlete, uh, succeeded at what he was doing. And uh, until he was about 16 or 17, he was really on track to be uh, an amazing uh, man of God. But at 16, his father, who had been gone for all of his life, came back into his life and unfortunately <clears throat> got him into drugs and finally heroin, um, into a gang, and ultimately uh, wound up in jail awaiting trial for multiple bank robberies. And he hung himself. And a few weeks ago, um, a couple of weeks ago, I helped uh, with his memorial service. And it, it just it was a sad story. And it, it emphasizes to me what the Bible teaches. And now, now you hear it from almost all of the people concerned about our country. What Mike said is that the dads aren't being the dads. And people are growing up uh, in this country without fathers. And it is, the, is a cause of a disintegration of, of our country. And, and this story of this young man just shows how important it is that we, that we read what the Bible has to say, that we do our best as dads to put it into practice. Um, I've got, if they can pull it up, my slideshow here. That's my favorite guy, Mr. Incredible. Keep them in front of me when I'm working out. <laughs> this guy here, Joseph Stalin, uh, this book is Paul Veach, Faith of the Fatherless is the name of it, and he basically went through all of the great, if I can use that word in a bad way, great men of the last 150 or 200 years and studied them to see what their fathers were like. This man here, Joseph Stalin, killed more people in the 1900s than any other human being alive and was responsible for their deaths. His father beat him mercilessly every day of his life. 
until he left home. His father beat him and pushed him into a ground. And there's all the stories about Darwin, Freud, Lenin, Marx, Hitler, all of those things when you read them, you either find an absent and or an abusive father. And the result in this case uh, was the most incredible killer that has ever lived. And if you look at those hollow eyes from that 20-something picture there, you, you, you realize that there's some real anger and bitterness in those, in those eyes. You can see it. You know, I think we're here today because we want to be heroes. And during this session, I know you guys want to be heroes to your children. Some of us are past that now. We're heroes to our grandchildren. But we, we still want to be heroes. And so I'd like to, I want to do something totally different. I want to give you um, some uh, practical hints from our family growing up and how we dealt with some things and what we did right and some things that I did wrong. And I want to tell you right off that I am not a perfect man, that for many years of my kids' lives, uh, I have a picture that I'm not proud of. It shows me playing the guitar, uh, my three-year-old son, Rusty, drinking milk out of a Budweiser beer can because I poured the milk in there for him so he could drink beer with me. So I am not a perfect dad. I was an angry man for the first uh, probably 10 or 12 years after I got saved. Um, fortunately, my children don't remember that very much, and the Lord is very gracious to heal that up. But I've got to tell you, I've been through it. I've been through everything that you guys are going through, and I don't want you hearing this and thinking that I'm a perfect person, that everything was fine. It's not, but I'll tell you something. If you love your kids from this day forward, God will heal them, heal your relationship, and they will forget 90% of what you did wrong. And you'll get your Father's Day cards, and you'll go, I wonder what dad they're talking about. You are the greatest dad in the whole... I'm like, I'm like well, this is sent to somebody. I got the wrong card here. Somebody... But it, it, it really is true. So as we're going through this day, I'm not going to like pump you with, remember this and remember that. Pay attention, because I'm going to give you tips as we go through this, and, uh, and hopefully uh, those tips will, will help you. And let me introduce my family to you very briefly. My, my first son, Charlie, we don't, we don't discuss him much at the dinner table, but I don't have any pictures of him. But um, No, he's not my son. But if he was, I would want him to lead worship in my church, right? What, a, what an anointing, amazing man. I've got three kids. This is my oldest son. He's 35. That's his daughter, Aurora. My second grandchild lives in California. This is my daughter, Beth, with her husband, Sonnen, um, lives in Phoenix. And that picture actually is a lake outside Phoenix. It's amazing. And then uh, my youngest son, David, and his son, Noah, we were introducing him to Piglet right there. Um, my kids all took my advice and married up. Now, you need to tell your kids when they're growing up, there's no reason to stay lower class like us. You can marry up. Okay, find yourself a spouse that's going to improve you. And I love my in-laws, with the exception of uh, David's wife, Tori's dad, who's a little difficult for me to, uh, to grasp, but I'm, he's, Andy, I'm sorry, I love you. It's Pastor Andy, we don't have time for this story, but the first time David saw Tori's picture, he was like, who's that? <laughs> my, my, my wife said, she's too good for you, don't even think about it. To make a long story short, they got married and they have Noah. So, <laughs> uh, David, would you come up? I, I asked David to come up and just um, share some things with you um, from his perspective. I really appreciate your helping me. Um, we are close, and uh, I think it's the, all the time we spent together um, when Dave was growing up and me with him and his things and uh, him going along with me with backpacking. Here's a picture a few years ago for the... The kids, a couple of years ago, before the grandkids got here, of all of us out in front of Dion's. We'd like to kind of talk to you about, um, there's Dave and Noah. I need a cutie. That's my grandson. Just remember that. He acts like me, not you. <laughs> when he's crying. <laughs> he acts like you when he's smiling. All right, I want to talk to you about three things, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on some because we already talked about it, but here's the thing you need to be a dad, from my perspective. First of all, you need to love Jesus. The second thing is, you need to lead your family. 
And the third thing is, you need to love your children. And when we get to love your children, I'm going to break that down and give you, and give you three more things. Now, the, the love in Jesus has already been addressed. We're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart. You do get a ton of blessings, a ton of blessings when you love Jesus with all your heart. And, and Poncho's right. There's nothing better than being filled with the Holy Spirit. But I'll tell you what you need to be a dad, what you need to be a dad is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's what you need to be a dad. That's your foundation. You need the love that he provides you so you can love them. You need the patience he gives you in your heart so you can love them. You need the faithfulness that he has and he gives you so you can be faithful before them. You need the gentleness and the self-control. All those things that we all want as men that are struggles for us in some respects. We need those things to be good dads. We got to understand we get those things from the Holy Spirit, not from trying harder. So if I had anything to say to you and we had to stop right now, I would say this. You want to be a good father? Love Jesus with all your heart. Be filled with his spirit and pray every day. God, work this in me. Because if he's doing that, you'll be a good father. Yeah, you know, um, you know Dad, I, I watched you growing up. How you, how you acted, uh, how you treated mom, how you treated us versus you know, what you preached. From the pulpit, um, you know, how you told us how to act. You know, it wouldn't be been effective if he had not been practicing what he preached, um, definitely. And as I grew up, I discovered that, you know, this was actually an overflow of Christ's love overflowing out of, out of my dad. It was really nothing that he did. But it was, it was his love for Jesus that enabled him to do this. Um, you know, you prayed with us. You read the Bible to us. Um, you know, you, you taught us, and he's a pastor, so <laughs> I know the Bible backwards and forwards. But really, what was most important was how he acted, the things that he did, more than what he said, but the things that he did. Um, you know, a good example was, I, every day that I remember, uh, I would get up, whether it was 6 in the morning for school or, um, you know, Sunday morning for worship or, or whatever, I'd come out, I would find him in his study uh, reading the Bible every morning without fail. And that was such a huge, a huge thing for me. Um, you know, there's a song that says, you know, I want to be just like you because he wants to be just like me. I, I, I have this in my own life now. I have a little man that, you know, he, he's already mimicking what I'm doing. It's scary. It's very mm -hmm. scary. Um, but I know that if I, I seek the Lord with all my heart, um, then he'll direct my paths, like uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Uh, trust the Lord, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so true. Um, once you love Jesus, then you, you need to lead your family. And the problem with our country is the fathers aren't showing up for work. You need to accept your responsibility. Look, you, you got in bed with her, you got her pregnant, right? Or you married her and she had children from a previous marriage. You accepted that responsibility. When you said, I do, it's like Mr. Incredible. You got to be more than Mr. Incredible, you know. And he said, I do. And that's the point here, is that those children are your responsibility. And, and you can accept that responsibility if God's in you and helping you uh, strengthening you and guiding you in your decisions, you'll be able to live out before your children an example of a godly man. And that's probably the most important thing. Um, I learned one time in a failure, I learned this verse, a righteous man who walks in his integrity, I'll bless her as sons after him. We went to Phoenix, we were cleaning his grandma's house, and we had an international travel all, and we were filling it up with trash in the back end and taking it, it was a, a station wagon, and taking it to the dump. And it came Saturday afternoon, and we were going to go back to Albuquerque the next day. We didn't have a lot of money. We filled up the last load, cleaned the house. We go to the dump, get there at 10 after 4, and it closed at 4. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Turn around, head back to the house, and I'm thinking to myself, I can't leave Grandma with this mess. And I'm driving along, and I look at these housing area over here, and there's a bunch of new houses being built, and there's all these dumpsters over there. 
I pull in and get my children to help me unload into somebody else's dumpster. I'm pulling away from there, and a Holy Spirit says to me, bad, very, very bad. What you just did in front of your boys is you stole space in that person's dumpster. It's not your dumpster. And the more, more I closer I got to the house, I'm like, oh, Lord, please forgive me. You know? Dropped them off, drove around, went back, got the name of the company, called the company, told them what I'd done, and did it in front of my children, asked them to forgive me, and asked them how much I could send a check for to pay for what I had done. And I told my children, I said, that's wrong. I should not have done that. And through that day, that example, I realized those boys are watching me. And what I do, they're going to do. And my daughter. But to have my children help me do that was very discouraging. It was a, it was a, that was a hard day, but it was a good lesson. And I, I learned, you know, you don't take something that's not yours. You don't do that kind of stuff at all. It becomes a habit and a lifestyle to be a man of integrity. This man right here, my dad, one time as a buyer for the U.S. Air Force, received in the mail six of the most beautiful coffee cups this 14-year-old boy had ever seen. And we were into coffee at my house. And I said, wow, Dad, look at that. And there was a name of Boeing or whatever the company was on it. And uh, he looked at him, and he looked at my mom, and he started closing the box back up, and he asked for tape. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm going to send them back. And I said, send them back? What do you mean send them back? They said, it's a gift. They sent them. And he said, son, I'm not for sale for six coffee cups. Wow, I just was like, man, that hit me like a ton of bricks. What an example of, of integrity. And he wasn't a Christian at the time. He's just a man that said, I'm not for sale for six coffee cups. A man of integrity. And I got to tell you, if you have not been a man of integrity up to this point, or you did not have a father that gave you an example like that, so what? Quit whining and start over right now. You be a man of integrity. I don't give a rip if your dad was Jesse James, right? I just, I don't want to down you boys, but stop using your father for an excuse for everything. You start over. You're the man now. He's gone. You're the man of your family. Yeah, I'd say integrity is definitely key. Um, you know, like I said before, everything that he would have told me would have really been for naught had he not been acting it out and apologizing when he did make mistakes um, to us. Like, I remember times, you know, just when I was young, I remember walking out of a store with something in my pocket. I didn't even really mean to, to uh, steal it, but, you know, I, at that point, I... You know, I, I told my dad, and he, we turned around, we went back, we went to the store manager. That was the most embarrassing thing for me. Um, but it was good. It was, it was a good lesson, and, and now, you know, it's, it's paying off. Thank you for being an example for me. Yeah, that's fun. One time we went backpacking. We always stop in Aztec for pizza, and uh, I ordered a salad bar. And, you know, you don't look at your credit card receipts, and about, um, you know, three weeks later, I was... Um, uh, checking my credit card receipt, and I noticed on a receipt I didn't pay for a salad bar I got, so I called the manager up, and I said, I need to pay for a salad bar. Dead silence. Well, he said, what are you talking about? I said, well, I came in on this date, and I got a salad bar. You didn't charge me for it. The guy's like, are you kidding me? What a time to witness. God would not be happy with me if I stole that salad bar. So he charged me $2.89 or whatever on my credit card. That kind of integrity turns people's heads to the Lord. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Now, part of leadership is, um, whoop, got ahead. Part of leadership is protecting your children. And, and children need protection even when they don't want it. And that's our God-given role as leaders to protect them. Like good shepherds, we need to know the condition of our flock. We need to understand we're responsible for what's going on in their life. And sometimes, men, we need to make some unpopular decisions, unpopular with your woman, unpopular with your children, and you just know you've been with God and you're prayed and you're like, that's, this is what we're doing. And I'll tell you what, that's the loneliest place in the world. Many a man has failed eating that apple that his wife offered him. We are afraid at times to make a decision and stick with it. But if you've been with Jesus, you've got his spirit, you can do that. And you can say, nope, that's what we're doing, even if everybody's unhappy with you. 
Yeah, a couple of things, you know, I feel that are important here. You know, if Jesus is the rock that you're standing on, then you can be the rock for your wife and your, and your kids to stand on. Um, you know, like you mentioned, I don't know, taking care of your family. <clears throat> That's a super important thing. You know, First Timothy uh, 5.8 says, you know, he that doesn't provide for his, for his family is worse than an unbeliever. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that I really felt were uh, important growing up was that, you know, you, you were a great example for me of working hard and allowing mom to raise, you know, stay at home and raise the children and not go out to work. Um, you know, that's an important thing. I'm taking that in my own life. You know, my wife stays at home and uh, want to continue that through the generations. But, um, however, I, I'd just like to mention here, men, we have a tendency to become a pro at our work mm-hmm. and our hobbies. And while our wife becomes a pro at raising the kids and holding down the home, um, you know, you can get disconnected with your wife and your family, you know, goes in separate directions. But through the help of the Holy Spirit, we can take our God-given responsibility as men and we can, we, can, we can hold both of those. You know, we need to provide for our family, but we need, our hearts need to be at home. Um, you know, and that means that we lead gently, but firmly, purposefully, um, you know, and don't, don't marry your work. You know, I was very blessed in that the home that I grew up in, you were very purposeful about the way we spent our time, uh, the way we spent our money, um, you know, the cars we drove. He mentioned that international travel, all that thing was horrible. We'd go to school and I'd be like slouched in the back seat, <laughs> sneak out the backside, try to not have anybody see me. It was embarrassing, but... Um, you know, the, the way we follow Jesus as a family together, you know, that was really led by, by you, you know, from the, from the top down. And I, stumbled, the top. I stumbled through it. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, there's, there's examples in the Bible of, of um, parents that didn't protect their children. Uh, one, none of them is, is, hits me as hard as a situation with Dinah in Genesis chapter 34. Um, in, in that culture, a young marriageable woman never went out of the sight of her mother ever. That was the way they did the culture. It's not like today. They didn't send them to the circle. Okay, you know, I see I drive around at 12 at night and these little 12-something little, little girls are hanging out to circle K's. That never happened. And that man, Jacob, let that daughter of his go out, it says, among the daughters of the land. She had no business out there, and he had no business relinquishing his authority authority to watch over that young lady. And as a result, she went out. He wasn't watching out for her, and and she got molested. She She got raped. And it just always speaks to me, look, dads, we're responsible for where our children are. Are they safe spiritually, emotionally, physically? And it's about paying attention. To where they are, paying attention to what they're doing. Who are their friends? Who are they? Who are they dating? Uh, how are they doing in school? Um, you know, what are their dreams? What are their interests? In order to find out that stuff, you have to pay attention to them. You have to be with them. And and honestly, this is also part of loving them. And I want to break loving down this last part of what we're talking about today. Spending lots of time with them being willing to correct them and discipline them and then to guide them to where you want them. And that's no, a no-brainer. Where you want them is with Jesus, right? So loving. Let's start with loving. Um, uh, start with time because that really is loving. There's no substitute uh, after your relationship with your wife. There's no substitute for spending time with your children. Don't, don't fall into the lie that quality time is okay and it gets you away from, you know, that, that quantity time is, and, and all that BS. That's, that's not, that's not the, the truth. The truth is you don't know somebody unless you spend time with them. And you spend lots of time with them as much as you can. Now listen to an old man, boys. Time flies. You don't understand right now today how fast your life and your children's life is going. All the old, older men with gray hair like mine are all going like this. 1984, David's in the oven, right? 1987, David's out. Now take a look at that picture. Look at that picture. And 13 years later, you're done, man. (laughs) David's a junior in high school. Rusty's about ready to get married. 
Beth is about to go to Bible college. It's quick and it's fast. I can remember the day I brought my oldest son home from the hospital. It was snowing. I had a BMW 2002. I remember driving very carefully from Prez Hospital to my house. I can tell you exactly what happened on that day. And that day is now 35 years ago. And I don't care whether you're having fun or not, time flies. And you have very little time with your children. That's why Ephesians, uh, Paul said, look, don't act unwise, understand. Understand what the issues are here you're dealing with. Your life is here, your children are here, and you have a short window to affect their lives. And even says it in, in Hebrews. It says, you know, you just have them for a very short time. Don't miss a moment. Like, you know, uh, Pancho said, I think, don't trade that for money. Don't trade that for a hobby. Don't trade that for a dish net. Where I talked to a man the other day, he was coming home. His wife was complaining. He was spending three hours every night playing video games while she raised the kids at night. Wasn't home during the day. He was at work. That's an absent father. You don't, you don't, have, you don't have time for that. Time is flying, and this is going to cost you. It's going to cost you to be a dad. You're going to give up things you want to do for things you need to do. Your children need you. Go ahead. Yeah, when we look at, you know, spending time, I feel like the best thing that, that he did, um, at least with me, and this is a practical example, but, um, you know, with me, he was, sometimes he was just on a video camera or... Sometimes he was my caddy when I was golfing or, or my soccer coach or, you know, when I was younger, down on the floor playing to- with toys, you know, with me. Whatever was important to my life at the time, he just found a way to, I mean, he wasn't perfect, obviously. I'm the first one to admit that, but um, he, uh... You can mute him now. You know, he, he, found, he found a way to spend time with me in the things that I was interested in. He never, and I think he learned, you know, I, I was the third kid, so I think he... I got better. Yeah. Um, but the I Lord mean, made I, me better. Yeah. The things I was interested in, he kind of joined me in, which was good. Um, you know, which, which gave me a sense of pride. I, I felt like that when he was there with me... It was because he was proud of me, and he loved me, and he just, maybe he just wanted to watch me. And that was so, that just filled me up, you know, and that made me so um, just confident to go out in the world and, and do what I needed to do as a man. So that was great. Yeah, I think, uh, I really had a shocker one day. I don't know if this has happened to you guys, but I fell into the habit of, I had two boys, and uh, they like to play baseball, so I had a catcher's uh, uh, outfit and we had a, a play mound in the backyard and, and we would always come home and we'd play you know fantasy baseball and I'd teach him how to pitch and and uh, and my oldest son was into baseball but what happened was that working 50 hours a week and then having a second job I don't care what it is but I was pastoring I was pastoring the church but I was working 50 hours a week that I start stopped paying attention to my little girl sometime when she was about seven or eight and she got to be about 11 or 12, and I looked at her one day, and I went, what happened to my little girl? And I suddenly realized that I had lost some time. And I went to the elders of the church, and I went to my, guy, my boss at work, and I said, I've got a problem. I've got to spend more time with my daughter. And I went to the school, and I volunteered to be the assistant track coach. That's not exactly something I'd ever done in my life. I run about like a wounded elephant. But... <laughs> I just drove the bus and learned what I could learn and ended up, you know, um, helping out with the track team. But more than anything, I learned a lesson that my little girl, Beth, who I love dearly, was just as important to me as my boys. And I had, I had not spent that time, and it scared me. And it, it honestly changed my life. Fortunately, all my children, Russ was into fishing and into guitar and into science fair. I spent hours and hours being a science fair mentor. I don't know anything about science, hardly. I've got a D in chemistry in college. And I ended up driving him to UTEP, going to UNM, helping him with his science fair thing, just going along for the ride. With Beth, I ended up, um, like, like I said, I ended up coaching her track team. She ended up hating track and she started doing cheerleading, but that's okay. So we went to competitions. We went to the cheerleading. I even got to take Beth to Israel with me. That was one of the best things I've ever done. 
was taking my daughter to Israel. It was absolutely amazing. So over the years, this untrained human being here has been a soccer coach, a little league coach, a track coach, a catcher, a math tutor, a science fair mentor, a screaming bleacher fan, a caddy, a counselor, a bike mechanic, Mr. Fix-It. They call me Modify Man, the kids do, because I used to fix Jenny dolls, of all things. I buy special rubber bands, and whatever I had to do, I did it. And Beth, uh, when I called Beth, she said, oh, yeah, don't forget, Dad, you now know how to restore antique windows because she bought an old house in Phoenix and I had to learn how to do antique windows for her. But you know what I thought about when I was putting this together? I thought what happened was that my children got used to coming to me for help. And I got to tell you guys, most of the time, I did not know what I was doing when I started to help them. Okay, I did not know what I was doing. But I did help them. And what I have done without meaning to, stumbling into it, was I taught them that if they have a problem, they can go to daddy. And what I taught them was if they have a problem, they can go to daddy. And that's where I wanted them. See, we are the first picture of God that our children see. Our character, the way we act, if we present God to them, and the only way we can do that is if he's living in us, right? We present God to them. They get their first glimpse of what God is like. Ask Joseph Stalin what he thought God was like. And that is what happens. But if you are a man who loves Jesus, ultimately you show your, your kids, you lead them to God by who you are rather than leading them to the devil like the father of that kid who hung himself in prison. Yeah, we had some fun backpacking, too, I remember. Oh, yeah. Some of you guys have been with him backpacking. It's, you never want to go again, so <laughs> just, just once is all it takes. But, yeah, we had, we had a lot of fun. He started, um, we started taking some of the, when I was in mid, uh, mid-school, we started taking some of the mid-high boys on trips, and um, I remember this picture came from a trip that we took. Um, I had been asking him if we could just go, just the two of us, with the dog, and just go up there, and I... I still remember, like, it had been all summer, and he just kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off, and, and finally you came to me and told me that you were, you know, you're like, that's it, I just got it, we got to do this, so, so we went, and yeah. it was, that was, I think that was the best time that I've ever spent with you, besides almost getting struck by lightning. Yeah, yeah, and all the, it was, in, it rained all morning, the first morning we were there, and we sat under a tarp and had pancakes, we fed the dog pancakes. That, that, that's one of my favorite pictures in the world there. I took that of David that time in a meadow. We were, we were headed out to go fishing. Jaron, by the way, that's where we're going. So, Good luck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm taking the guys off the staff. If they survive, they can stay on the staff. <laughs> now, we walked up that hill from that lake. And uh, it's a, I got to tell you, it's a brutal walk. It's 1,500 feet up in, in a mile. And my, I had bloody blisters and I was uh, sweating and complaining and and really feeling very grumpy as a dad what am I doing out here and we got about half I didn't say anything to Dave and we got about halfway up the trail and he just stopped said four were you 14 yeah yeah 14 he stopped turned around he looked at me out of a clear blue he says dad I forgot to thank you for bringing me up here and I looked at him I was like am I hearing this out of a 14-year-old? He said, Dad, I know you're hurting. I must have been wheezing, huh? <laughs> he said, Dad, I, I know you're hurting, but I want you to know, I know there's not a lot of dads who would have taken time off work to do what you did and bring me up here. I got to tell you something. I don't remember a blister walking up that hill the rest of the way. I danced up that hill the rest of the way. Because inside I went, this pain, this mule hauling of stuff, all that I've gone through is all worth it. Because the message I wanted to send that young man was that I loved him, I cared about him, and, and I would be there for him. Yeah, you know, one thing that stands out to me just when he's, when he's uh, you know, talking through about all this growing up and kind of recounting, stands out to me that, you know, in order to do this successfully, you kind of, you had to embrace your role as kind of the family guy. He wasn't, um, I, I don't know, you weren't the... Um, you weren't the corporate guy. You weren't the money guy. You weren't the football guy. You weren't the friends guy. You weren't the out-at-the-bar guy. You were the family guy. You identified yourself as that. And that was so important. Cause, I mean, I think everybody 
that met him, and I, you know, it, this, I'm transferring this into my own life, but anybody who meets me, I want them to know that I, number one, love Jesus, and number two, I love my family. And I'm not going to make anything more important than them. Um, yeah. And I think as guys, we tend to hide sometimes. You know, we could hide behind football or, you know, our hobbies, fantasy football, fantasy whatever. You can fantasy just about anything now. Um, you know, even our own social media. You know, and, and it's so important to, to identify yourself in the right way. So. Yeah, one of the things about being purposeful and talking about time, we're spending a lot of time, uh, issues on this, a lot of slides, but one thing we instituted that I really recommend to you guys is a thing called story time. And I could tell you, you know, a lot of different things about it, but essentially before we went to bed every night, uh, I'm reading here Life of Abraham Lincoln, we basically read books to our children. My wife read books, normally I read the Bible. And I didn't explain it, I didn't teach it, I just, I just read it to my kids so that they could, uh, you know, understand the Bible. We would, we would add like a, a Bible picture dictionary or, or encyclopedia or whatever, I think NIV came out with one. We just read continuously to them. My oldest son, when he got into college, they asked him one night in a dorm with a bunch of kids, they said, what was the most important thing you did when you were growing up? What was the thing that you remember the best about your family? And he looked at him and he said, story time. And they said, story time? What's story time? He said, oh, that's where dad would, you know, and mom would get and we'd read Winnie the Pooh books and, and the kids get, Winnie the Pooh books? We thought Winnie the Pooh was a Disney movie. And he said, no, Winnie the Pooh is a set of books by a, an author named Milne. And, and they said, no, no, I can't be. And he said, look, come back tomorrow night to my dorm room. I'm not joking. He, he went to the library and got Winnie the Pooh. And for the next few weeks, the dorm had story time. <laughs> and my son read Winnie the Pooh to a bunch of college students. <laughs> One night I remember distinctly, we had a battered woman and her daughter that we had taken in, and they, we left them alone, they were in the other room, and we started into story time, and they came into our room and laid at the foot of the bed <laughs> to listen, and that, and that lady said to me, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. She said, I, I, she said I'm going to do this with my daughter for the rest of my life, no matter what happens. She said, this is amazing, draws the family together, and... But time the kids went to school, I'd been through the Bible with them two or three times. He knows the Bible because I read it to him. Picked an appropriate age Bible. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. Just read it. But set that time aside each night before they go to bed. And then pray after that time with them as a dad. Lead that, man. Lead it. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that's kind of important about this is that... Uh, you know, in order to have time to do some of these things, you may have to shut off the media. You may have to turn off the TV. Um, you know, TV can be a time robber. It really can. Um, you know, we didn't have cable growing up. I remember we watched, you know, we watched some sports stuff and we watched, um, you know, we, we, we weren't void of television or void of, of the world because we were in the world, but um, we were purposeful with the time that we spent. We, we made time as a family to, to do things together, play games or, or whatever. You know, I, I think that in this day and age, you know, with so much media influence around us, I mean, you're always on your phone, you're always, you're connected. You know, that's the slogan of, you know, um, of what it is now. We're, we're always connected and, you know, I, I don't really feel like there's anything wrong about technology as a whole. It can be great. I, I'm connected all the time. But I got to be careful, one, with the content that comes through, as one. Two, in the time. I, I, can't, I can't let myself spend, you know, hours doing anything. You know, I've, I've got to be purposeful with my time. And, you know, I think I'm going to be very careful about, you know, when my kids are growing up, what's on TV? What are they looking at at YouTube? What's on their social media site? I've got I've to put my parental filter on there so that I'm protecting them, being purposeful about protecting them, because the world just, it's, they just want to, I mean, you guys are out there, they just want to get them, want to get, get those kids. Yeah. Another important thing about loving your kids is love them physically, and this is a tough area. Um, the boys 
the boys need physical contact from their dads. Um, and it's one of the reasons we have a rise of homosexuality in this country. You, they, they need, you need to hug them. And you say, well, I grew up, I'm not really hugging. Get over it, okay? Stop talking to me about how you grew up. I don't, I don't want to hear how you grew up. I want you to do when you go home. When you go home, you hug your kid. You can tell your wife, I love you. Oh, well, my dad did. I got that. This is about you. You hug your kids. You wrestle with your boys. You hug your little girl. You make her feel like a princess. That, that, that physical contact, that smell that, that a man uh, has, that smell sends a, a, a security to the children when they're around you. You don't want to keep your distance from them physically. And I got to tell you something. Pornography will force you not to treat your little girls the way they need to be treated. It works in your head and you're afraid to hug them. You're afraid, especially when they start growing up, you're afraid to be around them because of the influence of pornography. If you, that's one thing you need to repent from and stop from this day forward. Boys, I've been there, done that from 12 to 25. Uh, I know the influence of pornography. I know what it can do. And every time you click on that thing, you're killing something. And one thing you're killing is your relationship with your daughter. Little girls need those hugs. They need you around. Yeah, the physical affection thing was huge. I think, um, you know, it, it, was in, it was important in me finding myself as a man that I knew that my dad loved me physically. I don't know what it is. I can't really explain it. But just the fact that we're okay, you know, putting our arm around each other or, you know, just with me sitting on his lap or whatever it was when I was growing up, that was, it was really important taught me that real men can still be affectionate, loving, and caring. Um, you know, also, as a father, when you're being consistent in physically um, loving them and, and being affectionate physically with your children, it enables you then to be effectively physical in disciplining them, right? So if you never touch them, and the only time you touch them is to discipline them, then you're not, it's not going to be effective in their heart. They're just going to be afraid of you. So. Yep. Well, we're, we're lagging seriously behind. Let me tell you, uh, one night I remember Bethy uh, wanting me to tuck her in. She was about 11. And so I went in the bedroom, and, and she said, Dad, sit down. I want to talk to you. And she started talking to me. And I got to tell you guys, <clears throat> I don't remember or did I understand almost anything she said. She just started talking, and she was, it was a girlfriend at work, at school, and then it was this, and then it was that, and math class, and she just went on and on and on, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm like trying to track with her, and I got done, and she says, okay, Dad, good night, <laughs> and, she, and she kissed me, and, and I went in there, and I said to Juanita, I said, honey, I don't have any idea what she just said, and, one, and Juanita looked at me, and she said, honey, it's not important. What's important is that you sat there and listened. And a lot of times I think if we'd understand that, how important. When she started growing up, and um, she started growing up, the prom came and Juanita said, so Beth, is anybody that's going to, uh, you're going to ask you to the prom and you're going to say yes? And she said, why should I go out with any of those creeps? She said, none of them, none of them treat me as well as my dad and my brothers. And I got to tell you guys something. If that's the case, your little girl won't jump into bed with the first gorilla that comes along. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you leave her alone and don't do what you're supposed to do as a dad, she needs that. And the first gorilla that comes along goes, you are such a sweet-looking girl. That's, where, that's what happens. It's the dad's is the key. You love her better than you want, you know, better than she'll ever find a man. And what happened with my daughter is she looked around and found a man that was better than me. So that's not good. But anyway. <laughs> All right. Oh, that's very we, good. That's very good. Yeah, yeah, he was good. Okay, number two. We're, we're, Ray's going to have to forgive me. Okay. Uh, correct and discipline them. Okay, dads. Um, interesting thing here. Your father's instruction versus your mother's teaching. Instruction has to do with physical punishment. Chastisement in the Bible, actual discipline. It's a proven fact 
Children learn about right and wrong from their dads. That's who instills that into them. So along with that loving relationship, there's also the first grade visit to the classroom. That was bad. I, I had figured out that I could bring my toys, sneak my toys into school in first grade and cry in the class, and then they'd put me outside, and then I'd just sneak my toys outside and get to play with my toys all day. It was awesome. Until one day I looked up, I was sitting on the back porch, I looked up, and I saw my dad walking towards me. I was like, dang it. <laughs> Game's up. <laughs> and the game was up. And yeah. I did bend him over his desk in first grade. And I said, my authority over your life extends to the classroom. And when you grow up, it'll extend to where you're driving in the car. It's never ends, son. And you make me proud and so forth. I had a little talk with him. The teacher was like, eh. she let me have the classroom um, alone so it wouldn't be a problem. You know, it scares. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, you look at, and Ray mentioned this when he asked me to to share today, but it, it is so true, man. Eli's sons, it says, were the sons of hell, the priest Eli, and you can read that yourself in 1 Samuel chapter 2, but those kids were sleeping with the women at the gate of the temple. They were turning people away by misusing the sacrifices. They, they were doing this horrid stuff, and it, it says they were sons of Belial, which is sons of hell, and they had this horrible reputation. All Eli ever did was say, you know, that's not good what you're doing. And he, God had to discipline them, and as a result, they died. And that's what happens when a dad doesn't take his place of leadership and discipline, is that God has to do it a harder way. And the one thing that gets me is that, is that verse where, it's verse 29, where God says, you honor your sons above me. Now, to think about that for a minute, if, you're, if you let your kids get away with God-dishonoring stuff, you are honoring your children, your sons, or your daughters above God. Do you understand that? That when you don't make them adhere to the godly standard, you're actually honoring them above God. And because he didn't discipline his boys... They ended up dying, and he ended up paying for it. Now, now, by the way, this is not an excuse for aggressive, you know, screaming behavior, uh, hitting people in the face and so forth, all that stuff that we do in anger, because uh, Paul said, don't provoke your children to wrath. Nothing provokes them worse. Look at Joseph Stalin than beating them every day of their life. This is not an excuse for you to be abusive at all. And in fact, dads, we're supposed to be cool, calm, and collected. The worst weapons I ever got from my dad, he was speaking to me so sweetly. Now, son, you know, I hate to do this, but, you know, I'm not going to tolerate that behavior in this house. And he used a wooden coat hanger. I don't know what you guys got when you were growing up, but I learned my lessons. But you don't have to yell. You don't have to scream. I used to look at David. It got out of line. I'd say, son, go in the bedroom and meet me at the cedar chest. That was code for you are about to get a whipping. <laughs> I didn't have to scream and yell. And in fact, if you're disciplining in anger, you're not doing it correctly. You, you need to be cool, calm, and walk in the um, authority God has given you. And one last thing. Hot-tempered man stirs up strife, right? We are, as dads, thermostats, not thermometers. When all hell, so to speak, breaks loose in your family, you're the thermostat. You bring the temperature down. You're not the thermometer. You just don't gauge the temperature. So you, you come home and your wife's temperature starts going up and she's screaming and yelling. What do you do? You go right up with her and scream and yell, right? No, you're the thermostat. You say, honey, bring it down. Bring it down. And, and you do that for your whole family. You're the thermostat of the family. You're the man. You're the one that can take that stuff. We're going to do this calmly. We're going we're to slow down here and take this calmly, even if there's discipline involved. You know, I think of Proverbs 15.1, you know, a gentle answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. You know, for my wife and I, thankfully, um, we both had excellent examples of gentle fathers in our life. Um, you know, they were firm, they were purposed, but they were gentle. You know, I, mm. I, I struggled with that when we first got married. I, you know, when I wanted to get my point across, I would scream and yell. And, um, you know, that's been the Lord working through me. But I, I remember several times my wife would just turn to me and say, 
you know, when you yell, I don't hear you. You know, that, so, okay. <laughs> you know, I had to, I had to stop. Um, you know, if you're the harsh guy, if you're the angry guy, if you're the, you know, don't tick me off or I'll blow guy, <laughs> you're not going to get the respect that you're looking for. You're, you're going to get fear. You'll be feared. But you won't get respect and love. Um, All right. You know, Sorry. No, it's okay. I was just going to say, you know, it's, it's our job to model Jesus to our, to our children. You know, you're, as, you as a father are building your family's culture in your home, and it'll go from there. Yeah, and that culture has a purpose, and here's the purpose. Remember what God said to Abraham uh, about Abraham? He said, look, I'm picking this guy so that I can do what I want to do in his life and in his, you know, offspring and so forth, the seed. But I'm picking him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. And that is a great goal for parenting. If everything I do, my ultimate goal is to, is to get my children to walk with Jesus, to get my children to have a relationship. I remember uh, this scripture has always encouraged me with Paul talking about, um, in 1 Thessalonians, talking about, we dealt with you as a father deals with his own children. What? Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to do what? Live lives worthy of God. See, it's that purpose of a dad to, you know, when we read in the morning Proverbs for breakfast, we would read a chapter of Proverbs. If something came up at school, which it often did, we would say, oh, well, remember in Proverbs it says, da-da-da. And so we, we, would, we would use the scripture, but the whole purpose of it is ultimately turn those kids over to God. You can't be there with them at the Friday night football game when they're, when they're in juniors in high school. You can't be there with them, but God's there with them. So if you teach them that they're answering to God, then what happens is, and not just you, and this obviously grows as they get older. You can't teach a five-year-old. You can pray with them and so forth, but they need the law early on. But as they get older, you want to make them responsible uh, to God. And praying with them, what's the purpose of that? To show them that when they have a problem, they pray. And I remember one morning at breakfast that Rusty was complaining about something at school. And he's like, you know, I just, you know, he's going off on a teacher, the principal or somebody. And, and Juanita said, well, you know what it says? He says, stop. You're going to tell me what it says in Proverbs. <laughs> and I said, honey, we've done our job. <laughs> That was, a, that was the greatest moment. I remember first time he came to me, eighth grade, he was going to a dance I did not want him to go to. And he came to me and he said, he said I, I, can I go to the dance? Okay, now dads, here we go. We're protecting, we're, you know, the first thing we're going to say is what? No! No, you can't go to the dance. In fact, you can't breathe. Go in your room. <laughs> you know? And boy, the Lord just washed over me. And I said, I don't know, what does the Lord tell you? When you were praying this morning and reading your Bible, which he did, what did the Lord say about this dance? Now, at the time, I said, pretty girl, dance, the Lord, I'll go to the dance. <laughs> so he said, he said, the Lord told me to go to the dance. Now, <laughs> hey. you know he shouldn't have gone to the dance by now. I know he shouldn't have gone to the dance. But what did I do as a dad? I let him go to the dance. And it was, it was hard. We lived through it. But he learned a lesson. I'm going to make him tell me what God wants. And as soon as you get that across to them, that, that they are responsible to God for what they do. And that's the purpose, right? The purpose is pointing them to the Father because I'm not walking with them past 18 years. Right? That's as long as I can walk with them. He's going to walk with them forever. Yeah, I think that, you know, just to, as an example of that, I haven't had to deal with this obviously yet. My son's only nine months old. But when I went off to college, I, for the most part, I fell into the world. And I know that was hard for him to see um, and hard for him to not condemn me every time we talked, you know. But uh, he really did a great job of having patience with me and trusting the Lord that the Lord, like he had installed what he needed to in me, and at that point, he needed to let me go. 
And I learned a lot of really tough lessons, but I came back. The Lord brought me back. It wasn't him. And now we have such a great relationship because he did trust me, you know, through it all without throwing me under the bus. So, you know, the most dangerous moment in flying, for those of you that are afraid of flying, I want to help you out when you should worry. (laughs) The most dangerous moment of flying is that moment at the end of the runway as the plane's taking off when you feel it surging and then all of a sudden it kind of sags down. You ever, have you ever feel that? Kind of, it kind of sags down a little bit and you're like, you know, you, you try to do a double take and stuff. Well, what's going on there is that as that plane takes off and it sags back down, the pressure of the air is building up under the wings and actually holding the airplane up. So the engines are getting you going fast enough so that when you settle down, there'll be enough pressure to hold that airplane up. It's the pressure under the wings that holds you up. And the most dangerous moment of flying is when you take off that runway and that plane settles and that pressure, you know, holds up that airplane and, and it's able to fly. And I, I always think of that picture as a dad. Man, I'm pushing them down that runway as hard as I can. I am pointing that plane the way it needs to go and I'm pushing it and finally I can't run fast enough to keep up with that airplane and it goes out of my control and I watch it and I watch it take off and and I watch it shake and I watch it settle back down and I'm praying oh Lord bring that pressure under his wing make his relationship with God real see that was what was important to me in college sure I knew he was not doing what he should have been doing in some instances That's not my prayer. My prayer is not, Lord, please don't let him get caught. I expected one night to say, hey, Dad, I'm in jail. Can you come, you know? I mean, obviously, you don't know. But the prayer is not that. The prayer is that, Lord, whatever it takes in his life, you do it so he'll walk with you. That's the prayer. You know, some of you guys might be out there today and... You may just be floundering in the water trying to balance all these things. Balance your family, uh, balance your integrity, balance your work, uh, and still, you know, run your family at home. I think, you know, it's going to be tough for you to hold up your family if you're standing on sinking sand. Unless you are standing on the rock, which is Jesus Christ, you can't, you can't hold up your family. You're going to sink, and they're going to sink with you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God is going to, at some point, if you're not there, if you're not one of his kids, if you're not, as Colossians says, if, you're not, if you haven't been conveyed into the kingdom, if Jesus Christ is not your Lord, your king in your life, you're going to be brought to your knees because God is persistent with you. And he's going to bring you there. And, you know, maybe you're at that point today. You know, maybe you're on your knees crying out for help. And, you know, Jesus really does desire to be that rock that you can stand on. So I'm, I'm going to actually pray in a little bit. but Well, yeah, I just want to say um, <clears throat> in a room this size, there are uh, older men like me here that are looking back. Maybe you weren't Christians like I wasn't for the first few years of my son's life. And maybe you've got a lot to regret and, and you know, it's been, it's been hard for you. And there's mistakes that have been made. You know what? It's, God is a God. Grace is new every morning. And I don't care if your children are all grown and gone. If they've got kids, it's not too late for you to start over. It's not too late for you to ask your children's forgiveness. It's not too late for you to go to them and hug them and say, these are the mistakes I made, but I, wanna, I realize that now. I want to help with our grandchildren. I want to get things straight between us. It, it, is, it is never too late. And if you're a young man and your kids are here, you know what? Forget the past. Start tomorrow. Start tonight when you get home and put some of these things into practice. Understand the value of each one of your children. And I, I want to pray for you after uh, Dave prays um, also. Why don't you guys stand up with us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time that we've been able to, um, Lord, just dig into your word and see, and see the truth. See the truth about raising our kids and leading our families. And Lord, God, I ask today if there's any guys out here that don't know you, that don't abide with you, Lord, 
Have them today relinquish control of their life to you. Lord Jesus, we desire for you to be the rock that we stand on. Lord, help us be the rock that our families can stand on. And Father, I want to lift up uh, those of us that have made mistakes. Lord, please forgive us. For the flesh is strong, Lord, and sometimes we're just stupid. We don't know what to do. Lord, please forgive us. Wash us with your forgiveness today. Uh, every dad in here who's, who regrets things and has made a mistake. Father, please heal us. Heal our relationship with our children, uh, our grandchildren. Lord, just bring uh, healing. And I especially lift up any of my brothers here, Lord, are, are um, really being tempted and falling with pornography that, that you would do a sovereign work in their heart and that Lord, you would take that desire from them and give them the strength to turn that off and help them to do uh, whatever they need to do now to make adjustments in their family uh, to bring healing. And I just, uh, I pray for all the children represented in this room, Lord, that you would bring them uh, to know you in a mighty and powerful way, that they would walk with you all the days of their life, that no matter where they are today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would visit them that you would uh, draw them to you, that you would fill them with your spirit, and that you would um, make them a generation that's represented in this room, a generation that loves you, and uh, help us to see your hand in their lives, Lord. We thank you for this time today and, um, and for the blessings that we have received so far. Uh, we love you, Lord, and thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.